Okay, last week uh, we talked about the exaltation of Christ and uh, how that uh, as the church and our, being the body of Christ, I left out a few points. I didn't get all the points in last week where I wanted to finish up. So I'm going to go very quickly through these, this, these next two slides because I want to get into chapter 2 tonight because there's some really, really good stuff beginning in chapter 2. So I'm going to give you what, what we haven't gone over so far. As Christ being head over all things to the church, and that's found in Ephesians 1, verses 22 through 23. But what is the church? What, you know, what, what is the church itself? And that, uh, and that it should be so blessed. I mean, why does God bless the church so very much? And, you know, a lot of churches go through a lot of difficult times. They have a lot of struggles. Uh, this one, from what I understand, has been through like three different splits. And that's, a, that's not a good thing. But, you know, God still continued to bless. And he will continue to bless as long as things are being done according to the way he wants them done. But the church itself, is, it's his body. It's the body of Christ. That's found in Ephesians 1, verse uh, 23. Because um, I, I really want to get through these next few points real quickly because I want to get into chapter 2 tonight because a lot of good stuff comes out of chapter 2. Those who have been called out into the assembly of God's people are like a body to Jesus Christ. Anyone who's accepted Jesus Christ, been born again through the blood of Jesus Christ, who've accepted Christ in their heart, and they've received Jesus Christ, are part of that body of Christ, part of that, that universal church. We are a church here. We're Abundant Life Baptist Church. But anybody out there that's been saved, born again, they're part of the same body of Christ that we are. Okay, they may not, they may not have the same denomination. Can somebody be saved in, under something other than a Baptist? Absolutely they can. Absolutely they can. But there's reasons why we, chose, we choose to be part of the denomination that we're in. And that's because, a lot of us because of the fundamental teachings of the Word of God. So that, that's one reason we stay with this. But as such, as such, Christ loves it and he gave himself for this church, for this universal church of God. You know, that's why it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's important to understand. Anybody that believes that becomes a part of the family of God. Uh, thus, he is not only the head of the body, but he's the savior of it as well. Because he saved the church. And, he, and, and this body is here to represent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the head of the body. It's kind of like, this is Jesus and this is, this, is, this is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. And he died, that, he died for that church and he loved that church enough to die for it. Next, continuing with this same thought, so that is so blessed, the church is also called the fullness of him who filleth all in all. Think about that. Jesus could never have gone back to heaven and ascended into glory except for the disciples staying behind to begin to build this universal church. You see, a lot of people believe that our responsibility as Christians is to build the kingdom of God on this earth. It's not. Our responsibility is to build the church. Amen. We can't do anything for what's going on up in heaven other than we can lead people to Christ. But our responsibility as believers is to build the church, this church that we're a part of on this earth. And, and so that's what we're here for is to build the church. Not necessarily, we all, sometimes we pray that, you know, we, we always want to pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. We don't want to pray that, uh, that, that, church, that, that prayer like it's some kind of a, a chant. But, you know, part of building the kingdom of he in heaven is to, for us to build the church down here. Adding to the church daily. That's an important part of what we do. The church is the bride of Christ filling or completing him and making him whole. And who he is, the bridegroom who fills all in all. Jesus being the bridegroom, the church is also considered to be the bride of Christ. 
but we're also part of the body of Christ with him being the head. I know this is a lot of information to take in. It really is because it's, it's looked at in multiple different ways. And Paul, when he gave this information to the early church, it's important for us to go, be able to go back and understand that we as the church are not just the body of Christ. We're also the bride of Christ. And there's going to be a great wedding feast one day in heaven when we'll all be a part of that. And that's one feast. And I, there's a song I think that the cathedrals used to sing about the wedding music. I've sang that a couple of times. Beautiful song. I have to sing it here sometime. But uh, it's just called wedding music because one day there's going to be music played in heaven. And, we're, and there's going to be a beautiful wedding where the church itself becomes the, the, the final bride of Christ. And we're married together in heaven. For, for eternity, and we're all part of that. So I, I think that's a beautiful picture. As to his divine essence, Christ is no way dependent or, on, or, dependent on or capable of being complete by the church. But as the bridegroom, he is incomplete without the bride. You think about that for a minute. In other words, all this stuff that, that we talk about from the Word of God, there's, there's never going to be a completion to all this until all of God's people the church, the bride of Christ, we're all in heaven together. And, and, and then he, he starts the new heaven, the new earth, and all that stuff after the, the, the millennial reign of Christ. But the completion of all this is when the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, comes together and we all become, we become one with Christ in heaven. That's, gonna be, that's the beauty of the whole thing. Um, as the vine also, we're also considered the vine. Or Christ is the vine. Christ being the vine, we're the branches. Uh, and, and he cannot uh, be thought of without the branches. If Christ was just a vine, then there'd be no fruit. We are, we're, the, we're the branches that go off from that vine, and as a result of that, we're the ones who bear the fruit. We bear the, the fruits of the Spirit. And we also, part of that, that fruit bearing is building the church while we're here on this earth, being part of building the church. And as the shepherd, Jesus being the shepherd, he is not seen without the sheep. You know, you, that, you think about that for a minute. Jesus being the shepherd, all of his sheep one day will be in his presence in heaven. When, that bride, when, when, when we meet up the, with the bride, meets up with the bridegroom in heaven at that great marriage in heaven, at that great uh, wedding feast, then uh, it, it, the shepherd becomes complete then because all of his children, all of his sheep will be in his presence. And so also, he is also, as the head, he finds his full expression in his body, the church. In other words, Jesus is fully expressed through the church, through us. We're part of that. And here's the thing about that. If one part of that body hurts, the whole body hurts. That's why in our small part of that, and, and like I think I said it last week, um, I don't know what part we are as far as that goes. We could be the pinky we, we could be the, the, the toe. Uh, but see, you think of a body. I mean, but when, you, when your body hurts, no matter where it's at, sometimes your whole body hurts. You get a hangnail. I mean, I don't want to be the hangnail in the body of Christ. I don't want to be that. We don't want to be the pain, okay? <laughs> we, want, we want to be the part of the body that, that is producing and adding to the, to, the, to the body of Christ on this earth. You know, we, we, our, our, the church's responsibility is to build the church. And that's what, that's what we've got to do. We've got to be able to build the church here, being part of the body of Christ. Now that finished up, Ephesians chapter 1, after all these years. <laughs> it seems like after all these years. But, yeah, that's right. It took all the last year for me to do that, September to now. So anyway, we're going to move on. Um, so now, if you would, please, 
uh, in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to read the first three verses, and then we'll, we'll make our lesson for tonight. If you would please stand with me in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and where and were I'm sorry, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Father, for allowing us, for allowing us to cho for choosing us, Father, to be a part of this body of Christ, this church, the bride of Christ. Help us, Father, to fulfill our part, Father, that you have set for us to do. You have a plan for each one of us. You have a plan for us not only individually but collectively as Abundant Life Baptist Church. Help us to fulfill that plan, Father, to, to seek it out, to always seek your will and to do what you would have called us to do. So, Father, speak to our hearts tonight. Bless your word as it goes forth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, we can look at this sort of as a terminal disease. Think about it as a sort of like a terminal disease. Before you know Christ, and, and Paul, he does this such, in such a wonderful way. Paul's writings are so wonderful. And it's kind of like when he starts out, and you hath he quickened. Now, I want you to understand something here, that in the last chapter we just finished up, we saw where Paul had mentioned several things um, for, which we had been, for which he had been praying for on behalf of the Ephesian church. He prayed for a lot of things. You know, he prayed that they might know God, to know him, <laughs> that they might know the hope of his calling in their life what his calling was, what, what God's will was for their life, that they might know the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. They needed to know all that, and that was Paul's prayer. We just kind of finished up the, the prayer of Paul there a little bit ago. And in, uh, and, and in, the, in a previous passage, we also briefly noted that Paul equated that, this great power with the working of God that was exercised in raising Jesus from the dead. Remember when we talked a little bit about how the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That was part of what we talked about as well. And, that, and, and as a result of him being raised from the dead, he became the head over all things. And he's exalted in heaven right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we talked a little bit last week about when Stephen was being stoned, how that Stephen looked up and he didn't see Jesus sitting. He saw him standing, accepting him into his presence. What a wonderful picture that is. When I think about that, it just kind of gives me chills. Will he stand when, I, when, when it's my turn to go? Will he stand up or will I see him sitting? Depending on how I go, I guess. But anyway, <clears throat> in our salvation, when God took us who were dead in sin and hath quickened us together in Christ, it says, and you hath he quickened. That word quickened can also be interpreted as made alive, brought to life. Because, why? And, and that's, that's wonderful. He, Paul could have wrote this totally backwards. He could have said, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and then God quickens you. No, he didn't put it that way. He wanted to know, first of all, God gave you life. You have life in God through Jesus Christ. And, 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 he, and then he talks about the little, thing, little things that happened in times past. I don't want to lose my stuff here. So we're quickened by God in, in verse 1. And the word, the word and there, I want, to, I want to kind of explain that word and. Different words throughout the Bible may have different meanings. This morning we talked a little bit about the fear of God. And fear can have multiple meanings throughout the Word of God depending on the text. 
depending on what it's talking about at that time. But in this part, the word, it's, it's a Greek word when it's interpreted here, and that word and is a Greek word, and it's just, it's kind of, I think it's pronounced ka, kai, or ka, uh, which ties this statement to the previous verses. Technically, the theologians will tell you that chapter 2 shouldn't have started here. This is actually still part of, of chapter 1. But technically, when the Bible was written, it didn't have chapters and verses. They weren't there. Everything was just written together. But we, there were theologians who took the Greek and the Hebrew, brought it together, and they broke it down for, so, to make it easier for us to kind of understand it and to rightly divide the Word of God because that's what the Bible tells us to do. So that word, and, kind of ties everything together. It's kind of like, you know, uh, which is the body, in, back in verse 23 of verse, chapter 1, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, and you hath he quickened, and he made you part of that body. He made you part of that body. But it goes on, uh, that, that Greek word, and as Christ was raised and exalted, we also, because of Christ being raised and exalted, when we accept Jesus into our life, we become born again Christians, we're brought to life. We're raised up in Christ. Uh, and, and it's kind of like uh, when, when, you know, the whole picture is when Jesus died, he took all the sins of the world upon himself. That's incredible. That is the only time that God the Father ever turned his back on his son was during that time when, when Jesus was on the cross and, and, and just about when, he, when all the sins of the world were placed on Christ and he was crucified and he was beaten and he, he, and he was put to death. Jesus, but, but Jesus, they didn't take the life of Jesus. He laid it down. He said that clearly. No man taketh my life. I lay it down. And he laid it down for a cause because he had to take the sins of the world on himself and, he, and then he had to be buried. It kind of, it's kind of like the picture of, of, of baptism. Baptism does not save us in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't save you. It's, just a, it's, it's a public profession saying that I have accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. And as a result of that, I'm publicly professing that to you that I, that I am identifying with the death because I'm dying to self by publicly telling, telling people I, I want to be baptized because Jesus was baptized. But it's, 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 not, it's, it's not a part of your salvation in any way, shape, or form. Baptism does not save us. It doesn't save us. The only thing it does is a public profession saying, I identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we baptize by immersion. We put them all the way down under, and, you know, if, they, if we have to, we hold them down until they bubble. If we know they were bad sinners, we just hold them down. And when they start bubbling, we'll bring them back up. And no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we don't do that. But it felt like that when I was seven years old. Uh, but, but that's what that's all about, you know, putting self to death, going down as Jesus went down into the grave, and then we're brought back with newness of life. Not that it changes our life, but it's, it's a public profession that we've accepted Christ, letting the, the world know that, hey, I've been, I've been baptized now, and I'm following Jesus. But it doesn't save you, okay? I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to stress that. And, uh, but it also uh, here... As Christ was raised and exalted, we also are raised from the dead and given a new life in him. You can find that in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, which says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Once we get saved, there's got to be a change in our life. Our whole life changes. And, and you know, I, I was saved at the age of seven years old. How many sins did I commit from the time of birth until I reached the age of seven? I don't know. 
because I don't remember a lot after. I remember the day I got saved. I really do. And, uh, but, I mean, what did I do before that? Steal cookies out of my, mo- my mom's cookie jar without permission? I don't know. But you know what? It didn't, just because I became a Christian and I got saved doesn't mean, doesn't, doesn't mean I wasn't still a sinner. I still did wrong. If I hadn't done wrong, then why did I get so many whippings when I was growing up? I mean, there were multiple. It felt like every day. <laughs> Sometimes I think my dad whipped me just to make sure I was on the straight and narrow. Um, I was a little bit ornery. But you know what? Just because someone gets saved doesn't mean there's not going to have an ornery streak in Because you know what? We still have that old flesh. That old man inside of us that we struggle with every single day. But, but we, can, we can also claim these promises that were given here where he said, and you hath he quickened or brought to life. He gives us a new life uh, in him, just like we just read there in Romans 6, 4. Now, the second point I want to make is that we're dead in trespasses and sins. Before we were saved... It's, it's, it, you know, Paul could have, he could have went through all of this about what happened before you were saved and then said, but he quickens you, brought you to life after the fact. But he didn't do that. He gave the, the first part first because that was an important part. He was trying to make a point. He was trying to make the point that, 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 that God hath quickened or brought you to life. But then sometimes we need to remember where we came from. Now, now, that doesn't mean that every time we have a testimony time that we get up and say all of our filthy sins in front of everybody. Before I got saved, I was a drunkard down on Skid Row, or I was this bad, bad sinner did this, did all these bad sins. You don't have to confess your sins in your testimony. When there's a testimony time, all I want to hear is, praise God, he saved me. Praise God, he saved me. And I don't know what from. I, myself, I can't say I know what God saved me from other than hell. An eternal hell that I didn't want to go to one day. But, but, but to, to when, being dead with Christ, to Christ, if you don't know Jesus Christ, we're dead in our sins. Okay? It's, and, it doesn't, and, and this dead that it's talking about, uh, you've you got to wonder sometimes, dead in what way? What, how are we dead? Because he goes on and he says, who were dead in trespasses and sin? Well, that dead in trespasses and sin can have a couple of meanings. Number one, it's a spirit, we're dead spiritually. Not in the sense of being devoid of any good or godly desires. And I, get, I want to give you some examples on this. Because there are some good people in this world who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Their heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. God says that clearly. Our hearts are deceitful. They're evil. They're wicked. Because we have that old sin nature, that, 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 that old man inside of us that's always telling us. Paul said it himself. After his conversion... Paul said himself, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I should do, I don't do. And vice versa. He struggled. He struggled in the flesh. Anybody that tells me they got saved and they've never done a bad thing in their life, I don't agree with that. We're still going to do bad things, folks. But, but the dead that he's talking about in trespasses and sin, it's a spiritual death. Before someone is saved, they are spiritually dead. But not in that sense that they didn't do good things. Not that they didn't do good things. The people whose conversions are described in the book of Acts were God-fearing, Bible-believing people, believe it or not. On the day of Pentecost, think about it, before people, before their conversion, they were still somewhat good people. Paul was considered a good man. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was doing what he thought in his mind was the right thing to do for God. But he didn't, because he, he, he wasn't learned. He was ignorant of the true things of God. 
And so he was, out, he was actually going about trying to kill Christians, trying to stop Christianity. And he thought he was doing God a big favor until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that changed everything. That turned his whole life around. Turned everything around for him. But in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, I want to share some of these examples uh, with you uh, that there were some good people. And there's some good people in this world. And I'm going to tell you right now, the people that's hardest to lead to the Lord are the ones that, are, that in their mind, they're good. They think they're good enough to get to heaven. No matter, no matter what goodness is in somebody, all of that righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible tells us. But in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, there were devout men out of every nation who actually came together. And these men were saved. A lot of these men were saved on the day of Pentecost. Literally, men who lived cautious lives in a prudent manner, in a cautious manner. They were very cautious. They kept themselves to a very high standard. And they thought that was good enough to get them to heaven until they heard the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. When over 3,000 souls, <laughs> I couldn't imagine that. 3,000 souls saved in one day. You know, folks, we get excited over one soul that gets saved. You know, we get excited about one soul that is saved. And then, but you think about 3,000 men who, who, who were devout men who lived the life that they thought was good until they heard the story that Peter gave him in the message that God planted on his heart. So, so we have those devout men in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And in Acts chapter 8, verses 27 through 28, we have the Ethiopian eunuch reading. He's just, he's just going along somewhere, and, and, and he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. That's the book of Isaiah, by the way. Uh, and verse, uh, and let me share that. I think I've got it down here. Acts 8, 27 and 28. And he rose and he arose and went. And this is, this is the Ethiopian guy. I want to share this with you. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This, he was a high authority figure in Ethiopia who had the charge for all her treasures and had come to Jerusalem. What did he come for? To worship. Think about that. He didn't know Jesus Christ, but he was a good man. He came from Ethiopia all the way up to Jerusalem to worship, just to worship. So was he doing good things? Yeah. He came to worship God. But it goes on to say, after, after it said he comes to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah the prophet. But you know what? No one could explain it to him. Philip shows up with, Philip just appeared there. That, that story always blew my mind. It's just kind of, he's here in Jerusalem, Philip's in Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden he appears with the Ethiopian. And just out of nowhere, it's almost, it's almost like he was transported. Beam me up, Scotty. It's, it's like God just put him there. He just showed up there. It just blows my mind. But, but you know, in those days, there were uh, signs that God used and certain things that God did because it was needed at the time. Uh, because the gospel hadn't spread at this point. But this Ethiopian had questions in his mind. He was wondering about all this stuff he was reading. And Philip showed up and said, what are you reading? He said, well, I'm reading out of the book of Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I know except someone explain it to me? So Philip took time and explained it to him. And at the end of the conversation, the Ethiopian said, well, you know, what is it that keeps me from being baptized? And the only thing that, what did Philip say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you'll be saved. And there's no reason why you can't be baptized. And so he was immediately baptized at that point. Because he, got, he accepted Christ into his heart. And then there's Cornelius. Um, who prayed to God always. Back in Acts chapter 2 verse 10. Uh, and it says a devout man. And one that feared God. 
Kind of what we talked about this morning. Cornelius was a devout man. He was a, he was, he's a man who feared God. And, and, and with all his house, his whole house, they feared God, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He prayed to God. And, and the prayer that God heard was, send somebody. God, he kept praying and praying and praying. Uh, and, and God finally sent somebody to him to explain to him, hey, this is how you get saved. You accept Jesus Christ into your life. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing that we can do for our salvation. Please understand that. We cannot do anything for our salvation other than believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's, what, that's biblical. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we had Cornelius, the same thing. And then number four, Lydia. She was a prayerful woman. She, who worshiped God in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. I'll read the, the story to you. It says, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted uh, thither. Think about that. The women. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Most of the churches I've been a part of, there have been more women than there have been men. What is it about us guys that we're so proud that we can't, we can't, we can't be like, like, the women are sometimes that which keeps the body of Christ together, the church together. I mean, that, that's just an amazing picture in my mind. Men are too proud for some reason. It's, it's it, these women, it, it's just a bunch of women. And the, the disciples went to them because they, they wanted to pray. They wanted to pray. Women, God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. Keep praying. Don't ever stop praying for the people that you love. But it goes on. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto us, which were spoken, attended unto the, which were spoken by Paul. She attended to the words, the things that Paul spoke. A wonderful lady. She was a good lady, but she wasn't saved. She needed to hear the gospel. Paul shared the gospel with her, that he got saved, become a part, great part of the church. What a wonderful picture. So there were a lot of good people, and there's still good people in this world. When it comes, there's a lot of morally good people in this world who refuse to be a part of the, the try, try their very best to, to fight the, the, the things of the devil. Also, there were the noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, which says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They were very noble people. They're in Berea. And it goes on and it says, <clears throat> In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They were going through the Old Testament trying to say, is this, is this stuff really real? Is it true? And they kept digging into it, going deeper and deeper into it. But somebody had to go to them and explain it to them. You know, it goes back to the old passage. Trip. How should they hear without a preacher? Somebody has got to take the gospel to people. You know, and my, my heart sometimes is so burdened with the fact that I think about the way this world is headed and where it's at right now. And, and we live in a different day and age. We really do, folks. Things are a lot different now even than, than 10 years ago. Probably bigger than they were before the leadership we have in our nation right now. Think about how things have changed so much since Joe Obama got in office. I mean, think about that. 
the things that he's allowed to take place in this nation, which was founded on the Judeo-Christian values, which made our nation such a great nation, and how, believe it or not, we're going to fall if it keeps up, folks. We're headed in the wrong direction. But these people in Berea, they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They wanted the facts. They wanted to know, is this true? Well, they weren't believers until someone went and told them that it was true. They introduced them to Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, introducing them to Jesus Christ. And then there's the great Saul of Tarsus. Y'all know who Saul of Tarsus is, right? He was, it, was the, it was before the, Paul became the Apostle Paul. He was the one who went about, uh, uh, you know, attacking the church and every, every, every chance he had. He wanted to destroy it. In Acts chapter 22 and, and uh, verse 3, it says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought unto in this city, but yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. He was, he was trained very well. He was a very wise man. And he goes on, he says, And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. When he spoke to these people here, uh, when, he, when he was uh, uh, preaching the gospel after he got saved in Acts chapter 22, he said, I, he was preaching the gospel, and he said, these people are looking for the same things that I was looking for. He thought in his heart he was doing what was right. He was a good man in his own eyes. And in the eyes of the people, Paul was a good man. Or excuse me, Saul of Tarsus in his mind was a good man. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And then, and then in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, this is what he tells the, the church at Philippi. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul said, I have, I have greater opportunity to brag than any of you do. Because he sat at the feet of Gamil, uh, and, and Gamaliel and he was trained by the best of the Pharisees about the laws, about the laws. Well, Je the only one person could fill those laws and that was Jesus Christ. And he did that. When Jesus walked on this earth, he, 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 he kept the law to every degree. And, and Paul goes on to tell him, he says, um, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, which is in the law, blameless. In other words, he said, what I was doing, I was blameless. I had every right to go out and persecute the church of Jesus Christ at that time. Because he didn't know what he was doing. No, he had not met Jesus yet. And it had not made a difference in his life. So there you have six different uh, people in the Bible that were good people. But... They were, they, were, they were walking in their trespasses and their sins, but in their minds, they were good people. They sought after God, but no one had introduced them to Jesus at this point, and they needed to be introduced to Jesus. So, <clears throat> dead in what? They were dead in their, they, rather dead in the sense of being separated from God. Just because someone is good doesn't mean they're going to go to heaven, folks. You're not going to go to heaven for being good. Even after you get saved, you're going to do bad things. It happens. We all do. We all do bad things. We do, we do dumb things. We don't think before we speak sometimes. We, 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 we don't turn off a, a TV show that we shouldn't be watching that's going to ruin our minds. Um, 
and, and just as, as a physical death is separation from the body and spirit in James chapter um, 2 and verse 26, verse, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. But the, 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 the point I want to make here is the, the, the body or the spirit without Jesus is dead. It's, a dead, it's, it's, it's dead. The spirit is dead because they do not know Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul said back up in there, And you hath he quickened who are dead in your trespasses and sins. Because of your sins and your trespasses, you can't, you can't walk with him. So spiritual death exists when we are separated from God. But once you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, once you accept that and you make Jesus part of your life and you have that repentive attitude where you, you know the things that you did were wrong and you turn away from that and you go the other direction, 300, you just turn, you know, I think it's 360 degrees all the way around and you go a different direction than what you're doing at that point is you've repented of the things that you've done and you'd live a whole new life because it's a new life for you in Christ. Romans 6.23 also talks a little bit about that. Uh, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But he says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear, that he will not hear. Salvation is a wonderful, wonderful gift. Uh, there's no greater gift that's ever been given to mankind outside of salvation. And we as Christians have got a big responsibility to take these messages to a lost and a dying world. And believe you me, our world is lost. It's lost its way in a big way. And who's to blame for that? Me. I blame myself. I blame myself. Because there's people I'm sure in my life that I've passed that I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't present Jesus Christ to them. And there's a lot of Christians in this world. There, there, there's more than you can count. But at the same time, they're not living up to their responsibility. We've all got a responsibility on certain things. Um, but dead and there's trespasses and sin. The cause of this death is separation from God. That's what caused that death. Before they were quickened, they were dead to God. It was a spiritual death that they had. It was, you know, it says clearly, you know, in, in Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. And before salvation, a person is dead to God. They, 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 have, not, they have no concept of who Jesus Christ is. They have, they, they, the, the, the name Jesus is, you hear it a lot. You hear it on, every time you turn on a TV program, you got to shut it off because they're taking the name of Jesus in vain. And when I'm around people and they say, oh, Jesus. I look at him and say, are you talking about my God? You're talking about my God, right? You know Jesus? And boy, they shut up. They don't know what to say to that. They have no idea what to say to that. But those trespasses are deviations from the straight and narrow path. These are considered sins of commission. And then there's, there's also uh, their trespasses are considered sins of oh, commission. Sins themselves, tre that's trespasses. Sins are inclinations, thoughts, words, and deeds uh, which miss the mark of glorifying God. Those are sins of omission. So there's a little bit of a difference there. I'm not going to get into a lot of that right now. That's another message. Trespasses and sins that we committed in the past. Okay, and, and before we're saved. We still do that, even after we're saved. And made clear in Ephesians, um, the things that we committed, that's made clear in Ephesians 2 too. You walked according to the course of this world. Before a person gets saved, 
They're going to live like the old man lived. But you know what? Once we get saved, that all needs to change, folks. It needs to change. You need to have a love for Christ. You need to have a love for being around God's people, walking with God's people, doing God's will for your life, finding what God's will is for your life, etc. Not those of our, of our forefathers. Uh, it, we're not responsible for what happened in our, in, our, in our forefathers' lives. We can't live up to that. That's not what we want to do. Our trespasses and sins are the ones that we are accountable for, not what happened in the past. What my dad did does not affect me in any way, shape, or form. But he set the right example. I believe that. Uh, but before he got saved, my, my dad was, he was, he was, he was, I mean, he was like everybody else. He sang, he played his guitar, sang in the bars. I don't know if he drank or not, but, you know, I don't remember that far back because my dad got saved when I was young. But uh, I'm sure that he did because I know the night he got saved, he was supposed to be in a bar somewhere singing and, and, and playing his guitar. But he didn't go because the guy that he went, went to work with, a guy by the name of Bob Cook, I still remember his name. And that was a long, long time ago. Kept pestering my dad. Hey, hey, Brother Whitey. They called him Whitey. Uh, and said, hey, Brother Whitey, come go to church with me tonight. We're having a revival. He kept pestering dad. And the night my dad was supposed to go, he, he decided, well, he went come home from work that night. And he said, you know what? He told my mom, he said, honey, get the kids ready. We're going to go to church tonight. And my mom just went, what? <laughs> What? They'd never been to a church before. Never, they, my dad wasn't raised that way. But because of that, things changed in his life. So, and, and as a result of that, I'm here today. I'm up here today. But uh, God says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. It's not short. His hand can reach out and save whomever, whomever will accept you know, God, God's, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all, all should come to repentance. And that, that's part of salvation. And we need to get back to that part of salvation where we, when we preach to people and we talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to make sure that, uh, that we introduce them to Christ. And they need to understand that without Him, they're dead in their trespasses and sin. But only, but only Christ can quicken them, bring them back to life, give them life. Not bring them back to life because they're dead. You know, when a person's born in this world, that little baby's not innocent. I hate to tell you that. They're cute as they can be, but they're not innocent. When they start screaming their full head off and wanting fed in the middle of the night, and you know you just fed them before you laid them down, that's called sinfulness. That's, that's called greed. I want more. Wasn't enough. Mom, come in, quick. And, and uh, they're, they're cute as they can be. They're sweet little things. But, you know, we, we have a responsibility, folks, and that responsibility is to share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. But, you know, we were quickened. We wouldn't be where we're at right now if we hadn't been brought back to life, or brought to life, not back to life. Because before, before Christ came into our life, we had no life. So that life comes, that spiritual life comes by knowing Jesus Christ.